Sales is King, episode 55. Hello again, everybody. Dan Sixsmith here for Sales is King. You have reached the podcast that talks about the brutal truth facing salespeople today, the changing buyer, the changing requirements, the new skills that are required to be successful in sales today. We interview the experts, people who are out there, people who have done it, people who are doing it and we get their feedback and opinion. We also talk about marketing and the challenges that are facing marketing today and sales. And we give you the tools that are necessary to succeed in 2018 and beyond. We talk about what buyers are saying they want to see in sales engagements and what salespeople can do to excel in this changing landscape. We've got a really special treat for today's episode. We've got an interview with Kristen Luck, who I have known since 2005. I had a chance to sit down with her and talk about her experience in running organizations in various stages of growth and how marketing and sales can effectively interact. We did an interview sitting down in the Bowery Hotel in New York, so I want to caution you ahead of time that there is going to be some um, noise in the background. We've got everything from a fire alarm going off to some dishes clanging uh, because we were sitting kind of in the bar area. But nonetheless, it's a great interview. Kristen is a one of the top 100 experts uh, to follow on Twitter today in marketing and sales. She's a marketing measurement expert. She's a growth hacking expert. She has worked with a number of organizations and helped them drive exponential growth in a fast period of time. She routinely blogs and tweets and is a great human being, and I had a lot of fun interviewing Kristen. So let's get into the interview, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith here with Kristen Luck. Kristen, welcome Hi. to the show. Thanks. Kristen was one of my first clients going back to 2005. Um, after Old I had times. Been, a long time ago, but um, so happy to reconnect with Kristen, and she's done such great work over the years. And today we're here to talk about marketing and sales. Um, and you know what we keep hearing about Kristen over and over again at nauseum is this: how do we align marketing and sales? around this changed buyer, right? And how marketing and sales are typically operating at cross purposes. So I'd love to have a conversation with you today because I know you're out advising a number of companies on growth strategies. Um, You know, first of all, what are you seeing out there? Um, And then how do we get to this holy grail of getting marketing and sales aligned? So let's kind of use that as the basis for a conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think what I, I see a lot of are really traditional sales models where people are really trying to muscle through sales. You know, there's not much of a strategy behind it. Uh, um, there's not a whole lot of thoughtfulness going in the process. It's just kind of like, let's go out and get in front of many clients as possible, and let's hire a big sales team and spend a lot of money, 
doing that versus really developing a strategy behind it that drives brand awareness and lead generation activities, which makes sales A, more scalable, B, less expensive, um, and, um, and, and C, I think, drives deeper client relationships. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I think, um, now, do you think this is because um, we've seen through the whole kind of, you know, this whole digital transformation going on, that buyers have changed so much, but perhaps these organizations, marketing and sales organizations, are still using kind of the old school approach, um, and they haven't evolved like the buyer has. Is that kind of part uh, of the problem? Or? Yeah, po- possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think that when when I look at a lot of the sales strategies that are out there today, they're just very old school in nature, which is kind of like this Glenn Gary Glenn Ross mm-hmm. approach, which is like always be closing and like we right. need to generate, you know. You have right. to make these many calls a day, and you've got to um, you've got to do these sales behaviors, and we've got to go through Sandler sales training. And um, hey, those trainings are those trainings are great, and that's I think it's good to be cognizant of the reasons why people buy and what motivates people. But I don't see a lot of a lot of the background work, I guess, that that I utilized when I first started doing sales and marketing activities. So I think. Um, we kind of have an unprecedented access to sales tools now, mm-hmm. but I still see them being underutilized, particularly as it relates to prospecting. Mm-hmm. Like I probably see more bad prospecting behaviors now than I have at any point in my career. It's almost like LinkedIn and tools like data.com and um, are making people lazy mm-hmm. and, and not really understand the whole relationship building process of sales. Without a doubt. And you know, I've seen so many, and you're so right, there's so many bad emails that come out. And what it's doing is it's just cluttering the inboxes for people that do have a a good, valuable message. Um, So what are some of the tools that you like to to kind of utilize in your prospecting, excuse me, guys, efforts? I come from a research background, Mm -hmm. so I'm a big advocate of doing the right research. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's great to um, to use LinkedIn and there's Zoom Navigator and tools like data.com to do prospecting, but I think you need to do a little extra due diligence. You know, like I can't even tell you how many emails I get from people that will send me something and say like, oh, you know, I'd like to, um, I'd like to connect with you about your role at Decipher. Well, mm-hmm. I haven't been at Decipher for three years. I sold my business. Right. Right. So, <laughs> A, you haven't done your, you haven't right. done your, your homework. You haven't figured out actually what I'm doing yet, or they'll approach me, they'll come to my website and and say like, oh, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to connect with the person who manages your HR. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm right. a one-person consulting right. shop. Right. And, um, you know, on top of it, you're asking me to be your prospecting for you. You're right. asking me to refer you to someone in my company. So right. just like that level of, um, of, I don't want to call it laziness, but just, you know, like the, the level of, um, of, of, uh, Oh, now it's flashing. Well, yeah, so for those of you on audio only, we are uh, in a location here that's having a fire drill. And um, Kristen and I wanted to make this as authentic as possible and that it wasn't too professional. So we want to give you all of the, and for those of you watching on video, you could see the flashing in the background. And perhaps we'll see firefighters come through soon also. Yeah. And then, you know, we might have to leave. So yeah. anyway, but you're so right because. Um, it is laziness. Yeah. It really is. It is laziness because, you know, in all of the studies of buyers today, they're so disappointed in what sales is doing that they don't come in and do 
They don't have research done ahead of time. Yeah. They come in and ask stupid questions. Yeah. Um, and what happens is the, the studies, research says only like less than 20% of salespeople are getting a second meeting. Yeah. So you're just underscoring that the research is so important. Um, and, and, and what's even more concerning about that is there's so much available. Yeah. You know, what I talk about is, you know, go to Google, go to the social engines, see what people are sharing, you know, understand what their issues are, and then, you know, start to build a relationship. The other thing that troubles me is that, you know, now the new thing on LinkedIn is, hey, I want to hear about your pain points. You know, tell me about your challenges. Yeah. And I'm like, who are you? Right. You know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Like, yeah. you have to establish trust and credibility. Why should I tell you anything about me? It's like meeting me for the first time and saying, Dan, tell me about your personal problems. Right. You know, I really think I can right. help. Well, who, you know, right. why are you qualified? So, um, so let's talk a little bit about marketing and sales working together. Yeah. Um, what are you observing? You know, what are some of the, the challenges with marketing and sales trying to interact yeah. successfully? What I see a lot are firms that um, literally invest or spend no money on marketing, but then will hire a big sales team and just try to muscle through sales, mm -hmm. which is, to me, like a really expensive and really inefficient way of right. selling. So I, I, I think I mentioned this to you. I got asked in a meeting one time when I was speaking, like, oh, if you had a dollar to spend, would mm -hmm. you spend it on sales or would you spend it on marketing? Which, honestly, I think is probably like one of the dumbest questions mm -hmm. I've been asked <laughs> because you can't pit the two against each other. Right. Marketing's, you know, marketing's job is to drive awareness and lead generation right. for sales. Right. Um, right. And when those teams work together really well, marketing is really powerful at, hey, defining what your key differentiators are, mm -hmm. um, helping develop value propositions and sales battle cards that help you get in front of the right buyers and have an understanding of what that messaging is that's really going to resonate um, and, and drive good sales activity. And so the best companies that I see are the ones where sales and marketing are really humming together. Mm -hmm. They're in the same meetings. Marketing mm -hmm. is listening to what sales challenges are and developing mm -hmm. programs mm -hmm. and campaigns around mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and likewise, sales is taking marketing materials and using those to get in front of the right clients. So from my perspective, the two practices can't be separated. Mm -hmm. No, there's no question about it. And there was something that came out, it was a McKinsey study that said the successful sales transformations today are being led by the CEOs. Yeah. Because the CEOs are able to pull together, you know, sales, marketing, HR, IT, and, and they're leading this. And they're like, hey, we all have to work together. So, um, and we're just, again, having a, <laughs> some issues here. Do uh, not be alarmed. Right. Just, just uh, very No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> flashes are going off, but uh, thankfully the systems are in place. Um, <laughs> We're so, safe. Yeah, we are safe. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I just don't, how do we fix this? You know what I mean? Uh, it's so, Kristen, do we, is it, is it, do we hire better sales and marketing leaders that under, that need to understand this? Or do are there, you know, do the boards require CEOs that come in that know how to do this? You know, because it's like, honestly, it's got to be five years that I keep reading about this. Oh, they've got to be aligned. We've got to be aligned. How, do, how does it get fixed? Yeah. You know? I mean, I think I think part of it is that we have CMOs that don't really understand sales, and we have chief revenue officers that don't understand and respect marketing. 
Um, you know, I was really fortunate in my last business because I had two business partners that didn't want to oversee sales and marketing, which was really what I, what I loved and what I wanted to do. And so um, I was the president and CMO of the company, and I oversaw both groups. Um, and they worked together synergistically, and um, we did meetings together, and everything, you know, had a cohesive strategy around it. So mm -hmm. I, I think until we get to a, a point where those teams are truly combined, and hey, if you want to have a CMO and CRO, um, and have those as two separate groups, great, but they have to be working collaboratively. Mm -hmm. um, they have to be meeting on a regular basis. You know? In an ideal world, for me, it would all be housed under the same person. You know, right. There'd be one group, sales and marketing, and that's to drive demand generation, and also to create engagement around existing client growth, because I think that's another thing that so, we ignore. Yes. A lot of the time, right. we think about sales and marketing are as things that drive demand generation and new clients. So true. Versus, you know, in many organizations, the clients they have are really truly all the clients they need, but they're not focused on landing and expanding the most accounts. Right. You know, they think about marketing like just for bringing in new clients instead of like how do we keep existing clients happy and engaged? You know, and how do we upsell new products mm -hmm. and services that we have mm -hmm. for those clients? That's so, so important. You know, you could spend so much money on new prospects um, well, it's really, as right? you know, it's a it's so much work to bring in a new client, right. and it's expensive. It's a lot easier to keep an existing client and to, to grow that account. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a tremendous right. amount of effort that goes into new client development. And with that, that same article, that McKinsey article, they were talking about with the whole kind of explosion of subscription businesses, that the sales really don't end at, at, the, at when someone signs up. It's really got to be an ongoing customer experience. And, and, ability to kind of upsell and cross-sell yeah. and you know that's got to be a big focus of it it sounds like the other part of this has got to be you know these frequent meetings and then kind of evaluating like what's working and what's yeah, not absolutely. right because things are changing so quickly um, you know you sit down and say hey how did this campaign do yeah. or you know how how many leads did this drive or how many conversions did we get and, and, and is that kind of part of it too? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I think there's, I, I mean, I come from a data science background, a research background, and so of course I like to measure everything. Right. Um, you know, I always also caution people not to get analysis paralysis. Right. You know, where you're measuring right. everything and so you're not ever getting anything done. But yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if you're running a sales sequence, for instance, yeah, you want to measure the effectiveness of the campaign. Can you improve it by changing wording or, is your marketing program working? You know, are there different campaigns that are generating different mm -hmm. types of leads, and how's your conversion rate performing? And um, again, I think marketing traditionally has kind of gotten a bad rap at coming up with lots of creative campaigns, but not really measuring performance. And likewise, I think sales professionals often get a bad rap for like mm -hmm. kind of ignoring the CRM and like, oh, CRM right. compliance, you know, is right. an issue in every organization. And so, right. you know, having a really holistic approach to looking at, hey, what is driving demand mm -hmm. and then what's driving conversion is really important mm -hmm. because all of those things can be impacted, impacted by different parts of that marketing and sales cycle. So true. So true. So, um, we talk a lot about sales on this, obviously. Sales is king. This is episode 55. I don't know how, you know, a lot of it is me blathering. But we, we covered do, everything by I, now. I, I know. <laughs> the, the audience is like, Dan, come up with something new. Well, we've got fire drills today. We've got Kristen. We've got, yeah. you know, flashing lights. Yeah. Um, so in your experience, what do you think the modern seller, you know, if you're, if you're going out there and hiring salespeople today, 
particularly in a business-to-business -business type of environment. Yeah. What do you think the key skill set needs to be? Um, well, gosh, persistence, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think... So that hasn't changed. Uh, yeah, that hasn't right. changed. I mean, I, I do feel like people give up way too early in the process, and I think that <clears throat> yeah. people focus on, like, getting tons of leads instead of, like, really focusing on working the ones that you have, because, you know, it's like, once you've been told no three or four times, yeah, you kind of like, oh, I'm going to move on to maybe someone mm -hmm. that will say yes. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that the, those deeper relationships come into play. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, like you, I'm sure mm -hmm. you've been told no a million times. <laughs> I mean, I've had deals that took literally years to close. But during right. those periods of time, even when I got a no, I would like keep an eye out. Hey, did I see an article that I think was interesting to client? How, you know, am I going to be visiting the town there? And I'm just going to catch exactly. up with them grab a coffee, like stay on their radar. Right. And then when the need comes around eventually, I'm gonna close it. So I mean I think I think that focus on relationship building instead of just churn, like lead, 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 like how you know, like yeah. volume. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. volume plays a part of it for sure. But um, but that relationship building and, and making people feel like you and, and genuinely caring about a business. Not even just making people feel like you do, but actually genuinely caring hey, you know, do I have something of value to offer to that person? What can I give back to them in order to, to, to deepen that relationship and not just looking at it as like a dollar number? Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, we hear and talk a lot about this this word empathy, you know. Yeah. And I just, in one of my, you know, a couple of episodes ago, was talking about a lot of this, unfortunately, is just kind of feigned, you know. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm really trying to sell you something and I'm going to give you like a cursory thing and make believe, but it's like, Empathy is really like, hey, I, I want to know your truth. You know, like I want to walk. I've walked in your shoes. Yeah. I've done this. Yeah. I understand what risk you're taking to buy my solution. Yeah. You know, so there really has to be more of that. Um, you know, really truly asking the questions that get to what these prospects are trying to do. Yeah. You know, and then the other great thing you talked about was that, you know, this just doesn't happen immediately. Yeah. You know, we heard, what is it, seven, eight, nine touches. It's all a timing business, right? So yeah. to abandon somebody that just kind of doesn't have an immediate, oh, my God, I want to buy this, um, it, you know, it's a mistake. Because if it is a high-value prospect and you are staying in touch and you are adding value along the way, um, you'll eventually, you know, um, you know, land them. Yeah. So, you know, those are really, really good points. Um and you can't emphasize enough this whole part. And that, this is one one area where I'm finding with some of the, the teams I'm working with, you know, salespeople traditionally have been very comfortable talking about, here's my product, here's my solution, right. here's how it works, let me do a demo. Right. But, it's not benefits-based selling. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also not, how do I understand really what your issues are? Right. You know, and, and then how do I personalize this and fit it in to solve your issues because one of the big things we're seeing I, I, and I work with teams where they're like you know Dan I'm not really losing to the competition I'm losing to the apathy yeah I'm losing to the status quo yeah so it's like you know in your experience do you see sales do you think they need to be more consultative are they getting better at that or are they still kind of jamming in on here's how it works you know, what do you think? If I throw enough shit on the wall, something's going to resonate. Yeah, I see. I see a lot of functional selling. Yeah. Like, here's how we make the sausage, instead of like, <laughs> here's how delicious the sausage is and how it's going to change your life. You exactly. know, like this is how we're going to solve exactly. a, solve a problem. Um, and it, it's funny not to 
beat Glengarry's Glen Ross with a dead well, let's, stick. Let's but, you know, do the, that. Yeah, yes. but you know, it's like the, a, you know, the ABC always be closing, right. you know. Um, right. And it's funny, my friend Priscilla, um, who runs Little Bird Marketing, she, she has a different take on that, which is my take, because she comes from a marketing background, mm-hmm. which is always be helping. Yes. You know, like, yes. how can I help you in some fundamental yes. way? And really being thoughtful about that. Like, not yes. asking that question, like you said, like going in and saying, like, what are your pain points? And like, right. Nobody right. wants to spend the first 15 minutes of a meeting talking about their pain points. Like, you right. should go in inherently understanding their True. business and having at least a basic understanding of what pain points might they be experiencing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I think coming from that place of helping and also, again, being focused more on benefits-based and solutions-based selling. Right versus like this very functional um, kind of uh, demo mentality how I think that a lot of people get right. into. Yeah. yeah. Because and most clients don't care how it works. They right. just want to know what the end result. How is right. it going to change how my business? How does it business? help me? Yeah. Is it going to save me time? Is it going to save me money? Is it going to make me look good? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that really yeah. resonate. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'm seeing, I don't know if you're seeing, is this kind of like show me the money, right? Yeah. Justify this. Yes. Quantify this. Yes. So if I invest the, the, the million dollars, mm-hmm. when do I get my money back? Yeah. You know, or um, the other thing we work on sometimes is um, the cost of not moving forward, right? So yeah. what's the risk of not moving forward? Because you're actually in a bad situation currently. Yeah. You know, do you know you're spending X amount of money doing it this yeah. way? And if you don't move to my solution, you know, you're going to keep wasting your money. So yeah. that's another approach that I think helps. I don't know if Absolutely. you've seen that. Yeah, and I would say this is another like really key way that marketing can help sales because what's really worked well for me is having actual case studies of how my solutions are impacting clients. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a school of thought in psychology which is like people do what other people do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're selling to a client, they can see what someone else has done in a similar category where you've right. had a real positive impact on their business. Right. Gosh, that goes, you know, 10 times further than, than you just saying like, oh, we solved this problem. You know, if they can right. actually see data behind it and a client example where you've made a real impact, that's really powerful. And again, that's where marketing can come into play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no question. Um, you know, success stories and case studies um, are key. You know, because it demonstrates, hey, you know, I've seen this problem before. I know how to solve this. We have solved this. And look at what the results have been. You know, that would give me as a buyer a lot more comfort than saying, hey, you know, trust me. Yeah. Uh, we really think this is going to work. Yeah. So, and I, I would also you know. say, you know, like as much as possible, try to get case studies that are attributed to an actual living, breathing client where you can use their logo or their name. A lot of people use unattributed case studies, which is oh, just like right. X technology company, <laughs> you know, and it's like wink, wink. Like, right, right, mm-hmm. right. We can't tell you who it is, but it's a large, They're you know, amazing. Fortune 30 company. Yeah. T- yeah. Trust me, you know. Right, exactly, oh, exactly. Yeah. So attributed yeah. case studies are always more powerful. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about data and analytics, because I know that's your um, area of strength. What do you see is working? How are marketing and sales teams um, leveraging this effectively? And perhaps where are some of the, the slip-ups that are going on right now in that space? Yeah. I mean, I think you know what, where I see the most power is like not trying to do ad hoc reporting around performance, but really setting up dashboards. And that's where mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you know systems, particularly like I'm kind of a Salesforce advocate and junkie. Mm-hmm. I've just used it a really long mm-hmm. time. And I know lots of times I say Salesforce and people groan, ah, Salesforce is so mm-hmm. hard to set up. But gosh, once you do get mm-hmm. it set up, it's magical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think having visibility 
amongst teams. The, the one thing that I, that I think is really unhealthy in companies is what I would call data hoarding or data protectionism, okay. where, you know, like the marketing team can't see sales performance and sales team can't see marketing performance mm -hmm. and um, people are kind of hoarding that data and, and don't want visibility into it. And so I think, you know, part of it is establishing metrics that are really meaningful so um, KPIs that aren't based on, you know, what they call vanity metrics, mm -hmm. metrics that make you look great but don't mm -hmm. really mean anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then making sure that there's visibility into mm -hmm. that because, you know, if you've got a month where you're down or something's not working, I, I don't look at that as a negative per se. It's an opportunity for change. You know, what right. could we be doing differently? Like, okay, we tried this campaign, it's not working. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think part of it, too, is finding low-cost ways of experimenting. Right with strategies to figure out, gosh, is this something that's really going to move the needle forward um, where I can really make an impact on lead generation and conversions or is it something we tried that didn't work so well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like certainly you have to know your stuff in terms of, you know, the, the kind of science part of it, but it seems like there's also got to be kind of a, a gut understanding as yeah. well, right? So there's kind of two skills that would probably be required of sure. successful kind of marketing and sales leaders today? For sure, yeah. And, and I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see more CMOs that are really, really comfortable with data analysis, and I think part of that is because marketing has moved so much into the digital realm, and so much mm -hmm. is measurable now, versus, mm -hmm. you know, before when I, you know, first started doing marketing activities, couldn't really measure that much. Like, you had, a, right. you had an okay idea, right. Um, right. but it was kind of this fluffy thing where it was like, oh, we love it, and it looks great. Yeah, it seems like it's working. Yeah. I mean, um, now I think we have more concrete examples and there's a digital footprint for mm -hmm. like how people are coming through to your website and where they first connected with you. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I do think that marketers getting more comfortable with the, with the measurement components of it. And, um, and likewise, I, I think like the, the best CMOs and CROs are the ones that are, that are data driven and aren't, aren't afraid of it and, mm -hmm. you know, understand that it's a really great way of optimizing performance. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. So the other thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, we look at the tenures of the CMOs and the CSOs, right? So CMOs, I, I don't know what the latest is. it two years or two and a half? It's two and a half years, it's about two which is really fascinating to me. Right? So, you know, um, in this, I keep going back to McKinsey because it was just the latest article I read, but it was really, really good. In this whole, like, successful sales transformation thing, they're saying that the teams are looking out beyond just quarter to quarter. They're looking out 12 months, uh, or they're even looking out three years. Yeah. So how can you do that? If you come into a role and you know that the, the gun is going to be pointed at your head yeah. almost instantly, yeah. how do we develop this mentality if the guys and gals don't get a chance to really sign on for a three-year? Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know where this, um, this perspective on... Hey, CMOs only have a two-year lifespan has come from. I mean, I know that that's factually the case, that there is a lot of turnover in CMOs. But I've even been in meetings where somebody's like, well, you know, I want a new CMO every two years. Or <laughs> yeah. our, my private, you know, my, my venture capital firm says, like, yeah, two years from now we're going to have a new CMO. And, and that, to me, is kind of short-sighted because I feel like, you know, having been in a CMO role, you're, mm -hmm. you know, it takes you a solid six months to even understand the brand. You right. know, and to like really, right. you know, get a cadence going behind marketing activity and understand, you know, like, some, you know, some of the best marketers I know have been, been in their roles for years and years and years. Like they're, in, you know, they're enmeshed in, in mm -hmm. the brand. They go really deep into mm -hmm. it. They, 
they, you know, they've, they've developed great relationships in the organization and sort of like swap that role out every two years, you know, particularly when you have strong executive relationships and good performance. And I, yeah, I, I don't really understand that mentality, to, to be honest. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, I just don't know how we get out of that quarter to quarter, um, you know, uh, public company type mentality where it's yeah. like, hey, we had a couple of big quarters. Obviously, we're going to make some changes. So it, yeah. it kind of just... Yeah. works its way downstream so that's going to be because, tough and, and the other thing is like marketing is an iterative process and you do right. need some latitude for testing measuring and iterating yeah. on strategies and and my concern is that if a marketer feels like oh i don't have the latitude to to test and measure and i'm going to be out of a job in a year and a half if i don't nail this on the first time then you're creating an atmosphere where you're not in, and you know encouraging creativity, where mm -hmm. you're not encouraging experimentation, and right. um, you know I would I would say, gosh, if you're unhappy with a creative strategy, you know may you know maybe change your agency instead of changing right. your CMO, right. you know every two years, or um, um, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a it's a really frustrating and I think kind of an antiquated mentality, quite frankly. Yeah, no, I agree. So speaking of agencies, what you know. What would be, because it's just, obviously, I've been in the agency space and right. in and out of it and still kind of in it. Um, what, is, what are you seeing, like, what would be your criteria for when you go to hire an agency? What are the things today that are important uh, yeah. to you as a CMO? Yeah. Um, you know, for, I think from my perspective, I look for, um, I look, obviously, creativity is a big part of it. You know, right. I want somebody who's got different ideas and really creative strategies and regardless of whether or not they necessarily have experience in that category. Like sometimes, sometimes it's interesting to work with folks that don't have category experience. Right, like, right. you know, one of the, one of the best creative guys I work with, um, he does a bunch of B2B work for me, but his main business is, um, is small batch breweries. Mm, so he does a ton of beer labeling and beer bottling, but gosh, he comes up with some really creative and interesting B2B strategies mm -hmm. that, you know, I think a lot of agencies would never think of because he's, mm -hmm. he's really coming from a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely look for folks that are data-driven, mm -hmm. so who have an understanding of that kind of build, measure, learn approach and like, hey, we're going to try a strategy, we're going to see how, how it works. And I think, unfortunately, agencies have kind of gotten a bad rap in the past for um, being really protective about creative and not wanting their, you know, not wanting it measured or tested, and um, but the fact of the matter is, like, you can have a great creative camp campaign, but if people don't remember the brand it was for, exactly. who cares? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, so definitely a focus on on the analytical pieces of it, and the you know the desire to experiment and be, mm -hmm. you know, um, and not being afraid of trying things that may or may not work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some flexibility. Um, you know, obviously the team. Yeah. You know, is one of the things I've heard, but people want to feel comfortable who you're going to be working with. Yeah. What is the experience going to be like? Yeah. Will I like these people or will I be, you know? Yeah. Well, and I also think, um, I think diversity of perspective, you know, mm -hmm. I think, and there's a lot of focus on this in the ad agency right now. You know, it's like if you walk into a room and it's an all white, all male creative team, like that's going to give me some serious thoughts. <laughs> like, do you have any millennials or Gen Zs on staff? Like, right. where are the women? Where are the people of color? And so... Um, so I think that diversity of perspective is also really important, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and global perspectives as well, I think is, is an important sure. piece of it. You sure. know, if you, if you do have a global company and you're, you're looking to advertise outside the U S like making sure you're working with an agency that has experience doing that and, and also has global perspectives on their team. Exactly. Good. 
Well, I think this was really exciting and interesting. Kristen, how do people find you on social and wherever else? What's the best way to get in touch with you? And what's your most accessible social channel? Yep, these days? Uh, I have a website, obviously. Um, it's <laughs> uh, luck, luckcollective.com. Mm -hmm. um, you can find me on Twitter, at Kristen Luck, two eyes. Um, and um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me, find me on there. Excellent. So, yeah. guys, I would highly encourage you seek her out. She is a rock star, and she's helped many companies grow um, exponentially. So definitely think about her when you're trying to grow your organization. Kristen, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure reconnecting and yeah. chatting today. Yeah. Thanks for Good having to me. See you you yep. got it. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. 100% reason to remember the name 10% luck and 20% skill 15% concentrated power of will 5% pleasure and 50% pain And 100% reason to remember the name